Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hang on, I'm just grabbing my box of tissues. <laughs> Honestly. Jade and I would we, like to apologise for How far we have fallen from last week's episode. Wow. Last week we got on the mic and smugly said, there are no lows, there are no lows. Since that time I've had a child with croup, a child with gastro, we're in lockdown and tell us about your week. Uh, So I don't have any highs. So basically so far on Monday two of my chickens got their heads eaten off by a fox so we had to bury them. The next day, our 12-year-old pug died. We had to put her down because she was so ill. Then we went into lockdown that night. Then I started homeschooling, which I'm not even sure what that even means. And then a mouse last night ran over my head and I'm just at my wit's end, to be honest. Like, I'm really hoping next week is like, yeah, we've only got highs, 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 highs. But, yeah, (laughs) this week is just not very good. I'll tell you my mum hack for the week. Please do. Never publicly say everything in your life is going really, really well in a public forum because the universe will shit on you. It'll shut (laughs) it down. That's my mum hack on the week. Absolutely. Okay. We have a Rudolph Fabulous that was sent in. Can't get enough of you guys. I think you need... With enthusiasm. Thank you, Jade. Start again with enthusiasm. (laughs) Sorry, this one here, that message above was from the 25th of February in 2020. But the next one is, I have a Rudolph Fabulous for you. My son is three and he was looking at my back and feeling my skin, then asked why I had boobies on my back. I said, honey, they are my rolls, my fat rolls. He said, but where's the nipple? And pointed to my lumpy spine. Thanks, babe, for making me feel good. Is it rude or fabulous? That baby's baby's rude, rude. but I think the way that you handled it sounds like it was fabulous and I hope that your child sees you as beautiful as you truly are with boobies on your back or no boobies on your back. (laughs) That's great. Now, today's episode, so... Now, this week's episode, we chat to Montana Pitt. We chat all about her decision to choose to have a cesarean section and to formula feed her babies and everything in between. She's a businesswoman powerhouse, so we talk a bit about that mum work juggle. Yeah, so we hope you enjoy this one. She's a hoot. She really is. Enjoy. Montana, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I've been hounding you for a while getting you on and (laughs) here you are. Took a lockdown, but we've got you on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Of course. I'm so sorry it took for you to hustle me, but I am 25 weeks pregnant and I have suffered so badly from morning, uh, I mean, morning sickness. What a stupid name. It's all day, all night, 
24 step stupidness. <laughs> so that's my excuse, I promise. Otherwise, I would have been far quicker to jump at the opportunity. So thank you for having me. I think they should call it pregnancy sickness. Yeah, pregnancy sickness. It's horrible. Oh, I had it so badly this time. Darker, I thought I had it bad. And then, you know, you don't know what you don't know. This time I was like, oh, my God, I was being such a little bitch about that first time. This is way worse. So I'm Montana Pitt and I am mother to my 22-month-old daughter, Parker, and my fur baby, Harper, the Frenchie. And I run a PR agency, the audience agency. And, oh, well, between work and being a mum, that's, I try and get a little bit of social life in between, but that takes up all of my time these days. Absolutely. Can you tell us a bit about your journey into motherhood? How long did it take to conceive PJ? I had an interesting start to motherhood, actually. I initially had a miscarriage. I actually didn't know I had fallen pregnant until I miscarried. So that came as a big shock. And it was off the back of that miscarriage that it really kind of made it clear to me that I felt ready and really wanted to have a baby. It really shook me going through that. So Nick and I started trying again straight after that all happened. And I fell pregnant with Parker straight away. So we were super fortunate that I didn't have another problem. And we were straight into it, straight into the journey. That's such an interesting scenario because I guess not knowing that you were pregnant, was there still a sense of grief and loss when you had the miscarriage or was it more just, oh gosh, that's actually what I want? I actually think I grieved it more and realised kind of the veracity of it more once I had Parker. I was shook by what had happened. I'm a real control freak. So the fact that I had even fallen pregnant without realizing, I was like, who am I? What is going on? (laughs) I'm out of control. (laughs) Yeah. Like what's going on? I mean, it was a good, you know, first step into the motherhood journey because you quickly learn nothing's in your control. But yeah, everything was just, it kind of turned everything upside down for me. And so on so many levels, I was dealing with like, what's just happened? How didn't I know this had happened? you know, it was a horrible thing to go through. I actually went through it on our honeymoon just after Nick and I got married. So it was a total, I was like, what's happening? Like I couldn't, it was so painful and I had no idea. It wasn't like I was like, oh, something's going on with my pregnancy. I was like, this is the worst period pain I've ever had in my life. What is going on? And then when I kind of realized I, I didn't really know how to manage it, to be honest, Lucky I have such a great village of friends and women around me who, once I opened up about it, were so helpful in guiding me through it. But yeah, I, do, I just, I actually don't think I realized what a big thing it was until I had Parker. And then I was like, that was a lot. Yeah. And so you don't feel like it had an effect then on your ability to enjoy your pregnancy with Parker? Um, no, I don't think it affected my pregnancy with Parker. I was just completely thankful that everything went well and smoothly and, you know, I ended up with a healthy baby. So I had the same kind of anxiety level, I guess, that everyone has when they're pregnant. You're constantly, you do have that kind of, that burden that's on you 24-7 of hoping that everything's okay every step of the way. But when I was pregnant with Parker, I felt that burden. I feel at this time, every decision you make, 
whether it's a product you put on your face or what you're eating or whatever it is, you're just constantly thinking about how is that going to affect the baby? I don't want to do anything that's wrong. So I think I I had that one way or another. Yeah. And how was your pregnancy? With Parker, it was interesting. And as I said, now that I'm going through my second one, I'm like, oh, it wasn't as bad as what I thought it was at the time, but it kicked off with morning sickness that really actually only affected me in the afternoon. So I learned to manage that quickly in that I would get up early, try and like fit my whole working day into a half day in the morning so that I knew I could just kind of chill out in the afternoon. I wasn't vomiting or anything like that with Parker. I was just, I felt severely hungover, which was the worst. And I wanted to, like, I felt like I wanted to vomit, but I never could. Or maybe I did a few times, but nothing dramatic. But I feel like that is worse because when Sophie and I have conversations about people having morning sickness and being nauseated all day but not vomiting, a lot of women say, oh, but I didn't throw up. But I actually, in fact, feel like that is worse because you never get a reprieve. It depends. Sometimes the vomit feels good, but when it's just nonstop vomiting, you're just like. I know, but to feel sick and not have that one little bit of like, oh, I feel good for a second. Like every time I did throw up. For at least two minutes, I felt great. I remember my husband would look at me like I was an absolute freak because I would like walk out of the bathroom <laughs> smiling after he's just like heard me violently vomiting. And he's like, what, why are you smiling? And I was like, because I feel better for a minute or two. A little because of this pregnancy, <laughs> I've vomited a lot. It You 100% get a bit of respite for a minute or two Mm. as you said nothing wild but I also think for people around you besides from women who have gone through the same kind of morning sickness the vomiting is so much more validating because you know you can anyone can relate to vomiting it's a horrible thing to go through whereas when you're just lying in bed and you're like oh I just feel like shit I remember everyone kind of being like oh you'll be fine like just pull it together have some water like that's pregnancy yeah like, you know, and I'm like, I'm really not fine though. And it's like, it becomes a bit of a mind fuck because you're like, am I being dramatic about this? Like what's happening to me? And I feel like it's only when you start to come out of it that you t- truly realise how unwell you were yeah. feeling. Because it's such a, you slowly become unwell. You, I, well, for me, I slowly didn't feel well. It wasn't like from one day to the next, you, you all of a sudden felt like shit. It, it's a slow build up. So you don't realize you just continue on and get used to it, unfortunately. It's so, kind of what, like any moment, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it is a mind fuck because I feel like one person will say to you, oh, don't worry, when you get to 12 weeks, you'll feel better. And then, you know, if it does continue, then once you get to 12 weeks, someone else will be like, oh, yeah, I had it, but it went till 14 weeks. And then you see someone and you're at 14 weeks and they go, I mean, because with my first, it went to 30 weeks. And I was like, every time I see someone, they're adding on two more weeks. And I have no idea when this is going to end. And it is. Your advice was, it's okay. It it finishes at like 37 weeks. You're fine. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. I had a girlfriend when I was pregnant with Parker. She was two weeks ahead of me. And initially, you know, we're, we're, we're both going through morning sickness. So we could, you know, I guess bounce off each other. Like mm. on that front and then when she passed her morning sickness I think she she was kind of like you know I just like woke up after 12 weeks and like I was fine it just left and I was like 
yes, like I'm counting down to that 12 week moment. And like I woke up on the 12 week mark and (laughs) on the day, (laughs) yeah, I was like, it's going to be my day. I'm going to be back in business. And I was not, I think (laughs) until like 17 weeks with Parker. I was like, what happened to the 12 week mark? Like, why me? Anyways, yeah. So you just never know. You don't know how long it's going to go for. And I feel like it also comes back sometimes just in waves. Mm. Like you might have a, a cheeky week at like, 24 weeks where you just feel like shitting mm. for no apparent reason and then it goes. So it's just a roller coaster. You just never know. And you can't win either because when you want to not feel sick anymore, you get this little reprieve and then you're like, oh, hang on, I think I should feel sick because then I know I'm actually pregnant. Yeah. So then it comes back and you're like, oh, no, no, I need to. You just, I don't think we're ever happy until the baby comes out and you're like, okay, this is fabulous. <laughs> and then they cry and then it's all over. I feel like this pregnancy it took a little longer for the morning sickness to actually hit me. Mm. So Parker, I feel like it hit me literally straight away, whereas this time I think it was about maybe seven, six or seven weeks that it hit me. So initially I was like, this is great. And then also I was like, oh, my God, I'm definitely having a boy because this is just so different (laughs) to Parker, my experience. And then all of a sudden it hit me. But if I did have a day or two in that first week or so where I felt good again, I was like, is everything okay? Like this isn't yeah. what I had the first time. So I was like, oh, yeah, so you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Just mind fucks everywhere. What All kind of pregnancy. Yeah, what kind of strategies have you taken to help with, uh, I mean, we'll get to the second pregnancy as well later, but in general with morning, all day, nighttime, afternoon sickness, what kind of strategies have you found have helped you? I took a lot of medication. So with Parker, I was, again, like first pregnancy, I was so scared and nervous. And even though my GP recommended I take Zofran, I was like, oh, no, I don't, like, I I was just scared. And you know what, actually off the back of mentioning the fact I had a miscarriage, maybe that's why Mm. in hindsight I've not thought about it before. But this time I was like, I am not messing around. Hit me with the medication. Like that's why we're fortunate enough to be living in 2021. Like, I don't need to suffer and I wholeheartedly trust the advice of my GP and my obstetrician. Like my obstetrician is like God to me. So, um, you know, anything she says, I'm like, yeah, okay, done. So <laughs> I was like on Zofran, Maxilon and Parriot. I still am suffering really badly from heartburn. Oh, it's the worst. It's horrific. So, yeah, I, I took all of that. And then I think you go through or I go through little like funny phases. So it might be that as soon as I wake up in the morning, I have to eat something like four pieces of toast. My husband's like, you literally go through a loaf of bread a day. I'm like, <laughs> the heart wants what it wants, hun. Like let it roll with it. But what is on the toast? Uh, butter and Vegemite. Yes. What's your ratio? A lot of butter and like just a smear of Vegemite on the top. Good girl. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure when I was pregnant, a study came out saying, don't quote me on this, but that I think it's vitamin B6, which is in Vegemite, had been shown to have some positive benefits for nausea and vomiting. And I was just like, oh, well, you know, the study's there. (laughs) And just like I was already having so much butter and Vegemite, but I was like, oh, this is basically medication. Like I was just (laughs) absolutely putting it on with a trowel. Every (laughs) non-Australian listener right now is going, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, it's the worst. But, yeah, so I would kick off with my toast and, like, essentially have toast all day long but you know I'd go through a phase where it would be like say pasta with 
um, like just tomato, not tomato sauce, but ne- ne- Neapolitan sauce or whatever. Yeah, passata. And, yes, passata. Thank you, passata. Just so plain pasta. Then it would be like all I could eat was hash browns from McDonald's. So it was just like, thank God they're on Uber Eats and I could just get those hash browns and I would just kind of like roll out of bed and sit next to my bed to feel like I'd moved out of bed to eat. <laughs> Be like so you were- against the side of the mattress and just like <laughs> eat the hash browns. And like sometimes I'd sit there and I'd be like crying because I felt so sick but also laughing because I was like this is just such a <laughs> fucked up situation to be So tragic. This is the lowest of the low. So it's just this like constant I'm crying because I'm dying but this is just so funny. Like if I could, as an out-of-body experience, be looking at me right now, it's funny. Like you can't help but laugh. Like with my little lemonade, like lemonade from McDonald's out of the fountain, heaven on earth. My oh. syrup one. Yeah, that was my kryptonite, seriously. I'm starving. <laughs> so, yeah, like just little things like that to get through the day and then probably a bit more toast at night, like in the middle of the night. You were a carb loader. Carb monster. I'm like that every day of the week anyway, but I feel you. I used to like make my husband go and get me cheeseburgers in the third trimester at like midnight because I just, that's all I wanted. I didn't want anything else. And he did it twice. And then after the second time he was like, Jay, get a grip, go and have a, (laughs) go and have a Milo or something downstairs. (laughs) We nicknamed my first pregnancy, like her name is now Poffy, but (laughs) Schnitty because all I wanted to eat the whole time was chicken schnitzels and chips and we called her schnitty and the other day I woke up feeling a bit queasy and I didn't feel like my coffee and the first thing my husband said to me was like oh my god no do you feel like having a chicken schnitzel and I was like kind of and he's like we need to get a pregnancy (laughs) test on the way home and I'm not pregnant but that was like his first thought he's like do you feel like a chicken schnitzel it was like 7 30 a.m I was like yes yes I do want a chicken I I have totally just what we're gonna do we're gonna do a post of what would your baby be called if it was your pregnancy craving and see what everyone's baby's name so yours is hash brown yours is definitely hash brown and yours is cheeseburger cheeseburger and hot dog (laughs) you having twins girl yeah girl (laughs) (laughs) oh i think that would be a great post because there'll be some pretty exotic names coming out there at one stage i was obsessed with you know like stewed apricots that you buy in like a tin yes so i went yes where I that was the only thing I could have apricots in a tin Nick was like this is the weirdest thing I oh this reminds me though my girlfriend we're going way off track right now but speaking of cravings my girlfriend would have the mandarin in a can now they (laughs) are fucked Are they hard to find? I don't know. She brought them out and I said, girlfriend, put them back because they are disgusting. (laughs) I love that. It's like the only time when you're pregnant you feel like eating something somewhat healthy like fruit. It must be like sitting in a syrup (laughs) in a can (laughs) and probably picked from a tree like six years ago. (laughs) What if it makes me feel sick now? But at the time I was just like that's what, what I have to eat. That is it. That needs to be in me now. Now, you've been really open with the fact that you had a cesarean with your first birth. Was that a recommended form of delivery or was that a choice you made? That was a choice I made. Mm -hmm. And I, I find it so crazy that still in this day and age, that this is even a topic of conversation. Mm. It's so disappointing. I really feel that, you know, 
growing a baby in our stomachs and bringing new life into this world, it's an act of nature. And no matter what your means of delivery is, whether that's unmedicated, medicated or via cesarean, what difference does it make to anyone? How we, we have the inherent right to choose how we want to navigate our birthing experience. And it just makes me so sad that for some reason, women judge each other on how we do that. Like I'm not judging anyone for liking peanut butter on their toast rather than Vegemite. What difference does it make to anyone other than me? You should the- judge people on that, but I agree with the cesarean, <laughs> the cesarean question. No, I agree. And I think there's this real push to empower women, which I think is great, but I just don't think that we can have a narrow-minded approach in that. I don't think women can be empowered to only give birth one certain way. Like there's a real shift to, yeah, empower women to have these vaginal drug-free births. But if we're giving women the right to pick that, then in the same breath, it only makes sense for women to also have the right to have an epidural or have a cesarean or be induced if they choose to be induced or whatever means this baby comes into this world. So I completely agree, but I do, even though it's ridiculous that it is a topic of conversation, I still do think it's an important topic because I think there would be many, many women out there who wish that they knew they could choose to have a cesarean or feel like they would want to have one, but they're too scared about the judgment that would come with having that. A hundred percent. And we have to talk about it more to ensure that it is something that we're all comfortable talking about. And before I had Parker, I always thought I would have a cesarean but didn't really talk about it because, you know, it wasn't something like I wasn't pregnant yet. It wasn't something. And can I ask why? What was your reasoning behind that? Why I wanted to have a cesarean? Yeah. Because I'm a control freak. I did not like the idea of at some point around the 40-week mark, I could go into labour or maybe not. And all the like unknown variables complete like I literally have sweaty palms even talking about it now because obviously I'm pregnant now and like my worst nightmare would be to go into labor before Mm. my like date that I've booked in for (laughs) yeah and that's okay that's that's the problem that we're seeing a lot even on social media with people and their opinions is this is your body this is your child this is your choice this is your story it is like everything out there. People always like to shit on other people's parades, but you are allowed to have that decision because it makes you more comfortable. And you would way rather go into birth and it's a C-section with your mental state being in a better light than you being freaking out and God knows what happens after that. So I commend you for making that choice. Thank you. And I I couldn't agree with you more on your point of, you know, it's a really traumatic experience going through birth, whatever you choose, because it's not something that we do every day, right? It's a whole new experience. And I think that for me, I knew that I wanted to kick off my journey of motherhood in the best possible position I could be in. And I felt that that would be after having a cesarean rather than putting myself through trying to birth vaginally, which was not ever something in my whole life that I've ever kind of like envisioned myself doing. 
which is bizarre. My mum had my sister and I both drug free, not on purpose. She was the first to say, oh, that it just happened like it was all too late. I was six weeks premature. My sister was two weeks overdue. So it oh, just, wow. both times happened and it was too quick for her. So she missed the opportunity. So it's not like I even, you know, was raised with my mum being like, she had cesareans. I don't know. I'm, I'm not really probably a maternal person and it's just never been on my mood board. So but- <laughs> I love that. It's not on my mood board. Whereas I just have vaginas all over my mood board. <laughs> yeah, I've got flaps everywhere. I actually do. I've like, got girls everywhere. I've got girlfriends who have obviously birthed vaginally and it's amazing. Like they've shown me their videos, their photos, and I'm like, holy shit. None of us get medals for birthing, but like you deserve a medal. <laughs> I seriously take my my hat off to women who do that. But yeah, it just it just as I said, it wasn't on on my mood board. And I I also was really lucky because my cesarean experience was really positive. It as I said, like I I didn't go into labor before my date, so like I had my time. I woke up that morning, I did my hair and makeup, and as I normally would, and went in for my seven a.m. cesarean. By seven thirteen, Parker was born, and by like seven forty five, I was in recovery. That was me. So good. And we, did you have any kind of personal touches for your cesarean or any kind of requests that you had to make sure that that sheet that they put up in front? of you was by under no circumstances pulled down the anaesthetist said to me you know like I know you're really scared now but you may want to have it down and like what should all happen and I was like girlfriend promise me this if you do not pull that sheet down no matter what I say I do not want to see what's going on down there. you're like I want it as opaque as possible <laughs> if it can possibly be a brick wall I would like to put that request in and someone's birthing story before who had had an emergency cesarean and she said that you know in the operating theater there's kind of all these I don't even know what they are lights shields whatever there's all mm. equipment around and obviously a lot of it is stainless steel so it's reflective you can see it it's like mirrors Mm. being and she said oh my god like I looked up and I could fucking see what was going on in the reflection and I remember that just obviously I'm shook by that because still to this day I'm like shaking at the thought of it so also while they were like while I was going through the cesarean I was trying to keep my eyes closed because I under no circumstance I want to catch the reflection of what was going on down there either so I was just like I was like, someone put a And butt, what about a- looking at, fo- like, do you have photos of Parker being born? Can you look at them? Yeah, it took me a long time. Like, I feel maybe like six weeks after I had her, I finally like went back and looked at them. But at the time, I was like, that makes me feel sick. I just couldn't. And how was your recovery? Fine. So did you feel irky that you had, you know, a scar there and you couldn't really move? Like what was what was the first few weeks like for you? No, that didn't freak me out. So it's actually phenomenal the recovery or my recovery was phenomenal how quickly like from day to day the progress you make after having a cesarean. So like when I came out, obviously you've had the epidural, so I didn't get up until the next morning. That first kind of stand up, you know, like as to be expected, it's sore and a bit uncomfortable. I would describe the feeling as I felt like my stomach was like a crumpled piece of paper, (laughs) you know, like everything was just like and horrible. So just to like stand up straight was a bit sore, Mm. like nothing crazy. Like I've had my boobs done that hurt way more. 
just getting wow. out of time, you know, like it was fine. And I also think you're just, you know, you're running on adrenaline. You've just had a baby mm. and you're just kind of like, I have to get through this because I want to be able to sit up and feed my baby and change the nappy and do all the things that you do. So you just do it. Bloody oath. But um, yeah, from day, from like day one, say to day three, by day three, I was walking up and down the hallways, walking down to the nursery where you bath the baby, like totally fine. But day one, I remember I was like, I'll be fine. I'll like start the walk. And I got like halfway up the corridor and couldn't, had to sit down. They had to like wheelchair me back into the room. So yeah, from day to day, it's phenomenal how quickly you progress through that recovery process. Obviously you can't lift your arms up. They tell you kind of not above your shoulders, which like that was fine. And I think a lot of my girlfriends who had had cesareans had said to me, just, you know, do your best to keep moving. That's what gets the swelling moving through. So I just always had that in my mind, like keep going, keep moving, push through. I also wore my obstetrician and so many of my girlfriends had recommended recovery shorts. Mm. So the first week I was like, hell no, am I pulling them up? Like that is just terrifying. The fact that I even think that I can fit into those bad boys is like comical. So I got the physio in the hospital to give me this like tubing, you know, like if you sprain your ankle, yes. like a tubing. So like a, a giant version of that to put around my stomach, which just gave you that bit of like stability to reduce that feeling of the crumpled piece of paper feeling on your stomach. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I used at first and like didn't take that bad boy off. Like while my husband would wash it for me, I'd come on, come on, like (laughs) how long, put it on the fastest wash cycle possible. But then eventually progressed probably like two weeks after I had Parker into the SRC recovery shorts and again, like didn't take them off for, for six weeks. I had a girlfriend that gave birth on the same day that I gave birth to my third daughter and she had a C-section. It was her fifth C-section. Wow. And yeah, and I had my third natural birth and we were put in the same room together after we had our children. It was so mind-blowing, the experience. But if you looked at the difference, like I, I know I had a blood uh, transfusion and there was a lot of things going on, but I was watching her in awe that she she had one of those things that you mentioned around her stomach, but after a few hours, that bitch got up and walked around <laughs> the room and I was like, what? Like she was walking around like it was fine. I'm like, surely not. You've just had proper surgery. How are you even sitting up, let alone standing up? I couldn't believe it. And she was like, no, this is it. Like I wear the band and I'm feeling good. She was sipping on bone broth. I had Maccas. I was falling (laughs) apart. But I tell you what, everyone's journey is so different. I was really mind blown by it. Yeah, it's so true. I feel like that's something that is just brushed over the recovery. Yeah that way but I felt that when I was pregnant with Parker it wasn't something that I read much about or even heard on podcasts you know like I just there didn't seem to be much chat on that but it's such an important thing to be discussed so that you have expectation I had like no clue I literally was just so concerned about the birth itself Mm. I didn't think about anything after that so I didn't really feel prepared I was just lucky obviously to have great you know medical staff and team around me to guide me through that but it's crazy and as you said everyone goes through different experiences depending on how you birth your baby yeah 
some of my girlfriends are just like, you know, have a vaginal birth and they bounce back and they're freaking amazing. And I'm like, whoa, you know, wild. And then a few of them have had like horrific experiences birthing and like their recovery is just horrible. And they're just like, oh my God, like going for a C-section next time because that was just too much. So, And this this comes back to everyone's personal story being different because we're not sitting here going, yeah, every C-section story is fabulous, so what you listen here is it. Yeah. But you're, you had a positive experience. Some people don't have positive experiences. Yeah. And, like, that is the beauty of all our stories is every mother and every birth is completely different. Every time. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's why as much as I'm like, of course, supportive and pro cesarean, because as you said, I had a positive experience. I'm also highly aware that this birth may not be the same. I mean, I know it's going to be via cesarean, but I'm praying that it's that quick 13 minute situation again, but I (laughs) have to be realistic and brace myself for the fact that it may not be. But how incredible that either way you have felt heard and supported in, you know, the birth option that you wanted. A hundred percent. And so before, as I actually was saying before, before I had Parker, I always thought that I would have a cesarean. Then when I fell pregnant, I don't know if it's like a hormonal thing, but I was like, you know what, maybe I do want to have a vaginal birth and like experience that. And then you get, you know, of course, when you fall pregnant for the first time, everyone wants to give you their story, their opinion. And everyone's, oh, if you can help it, like definitely don't go for a cesarean, like no way. And I'm like, that's an interesting opinion to have when you haven't had a cesarean, but you know, like, okay. And eventually I obviously came out of the hormone bubble and like came to my senses and remembered my mood board and went back to like, no, no, I want to have a cesarean. And I was so nervous initially about talking about it to anyone because I was so protective over the decision and I didn't want anyone to try and sway me or upset me. But eventually I guess found peace with the fact that and I was comfortable in the fact that that was my decision and started talking about it. I actually was pleasantly surprised and blown away by how all the people around me managed that and were actually quite supportive to be honest like I'm talking from family and friends right through to my obstetrician and you know GP they were all like great and I was kind of like ready to like you know do your defense I was in like defense mode and ready to fight a battle on it and everyone was like oh okay if that's what you want then that's what we'll do and I was like okay Great. But I find like, you know, when you bring out the question of, oh, I've got some baby names. And if you give people the chance to have their opinion on the baby names, you're going to get people saying, oh, I don't like that. Oh, I like this. I don't like that. If you go in there and go, my bae, my baby's going to be called. My bae. My going to be called. <laughs> if you go in and say that our baby's going to be called, I don't know, Felicia, no one can say anything because you've made a decision and that's your decision. They're not going to go, that's really shit. And if they did, well, then that's terrible. But I feel like once you make that confirmed decision, people are less likely to throw their opinions at you. Yeah. No, totally agree. And like, that's not to say that I didn't have a few people still, you know, give me a little bit of an opinion here or there or try to sway me, but I was pleasantly surprised. And you know what, you're right. It's because when you've made it clear that you've made that decision rather than open it up for discussion, 
it definitely makes a big difference. And then, you know, leading on from that conversation, I also chose to bottle feed, not breastfeed, <laughs> which was <laughs> Miss Controversial over here. Now, does this come to control as well? And was it on your mood board? <laughs> Look, both. Um, also the fact that I, so I didn't take maternity leave after I had Parker, I continued to work. So as I got closer and closer to her delivery date, it just became apparent to me, like it would be near impossible for me to be able to continue working in the capacity that I needed to and try and conquer breastfeeding. And, you know, if it was something that I really felt that I wanted to do, or it was important to me, or I was passionate about, I would have you know, made changes in my work schedule to be able to accommodate that. But I just realized that breastfeeding wasn't, yeah, it wasn't on my mood board. And more for me, I was very comfortable with the fact that if Parker was fed, I was happy. Yeah. And it meant that I could therefore ensure that Nick could help me, my mom, my mother-in-law, my sister, my village could all be there to help with the bottles, which meant that I could have a bit, you know, a few more blocks of time to be able to work. So it's just what worked for, for Nick and I. And there's so little information out there for women that want to choose to formula feed. So what was that process like? D- did they nip it in the bud before your milk came in? Like what happened? So you give birth and then... Like, do you give them colostrum or you stop before that even happens? So that's up to you. You can yeah. decide how you want to play it. For me, it wasn't. So I feel like my cesarean decision was very like, that's like what I wanted to do. And I was fine on that. But the breastfeeding thing was a bit harder for me. It wasn't such a clear decision. And it wasn't until like, as I said, right near the end of my pregnancy that I was like, oh no, I definitely don't want to breastfeed. And I feel like once I made that decision, then I was like, and I don't want to go through any, I don't want my milk to come in. I don't want to go through any of that. So once I realized that, obviously I discussed with my obstetrician what the options were. And so I took medication like literally after I had Parker, like when I went into recovery after the cesarean, And then I think maybe 24 hours after or something, I took another pill and that's supposed to stop your milk coming in. So I didn't do the colostrum or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Funnily enough, like two and a half weeks after I had Parker, my milk came in (gasps) while I was standing at my best friend's wedding rehearsal at the altar in a silk dress with no bra on. No. And everyone (laughs) coming into the church and they're like, trying to get my attention and I'm thinking they're kind of acknowledging the fact that I've had the baby and kind of like pointing <laughs> You're at like, yeah, thumbs up, yeah. Love it. But really it was because I had streams that had come down my dress and they dried hard on the silk. It was so funny. I got, like I was dying, but it was hilarious. Do you have photos? I do. I do have photos. Can we see them? Yeah, I'll Can send, you send them. them? Yeah, cool. I'll send them after this. But yeah, so I, that, you know, I wasn't able to control that in, <laughs> to the extent that no. I was hoping to, but that was fine. That happened. And all you can do is like my obstetrician was like, wow, I've never heard of something like that before. Like, that's crazy. And then I told my grandmother and she was like, you know, in hysterics. And once she recovered from her like laughing fit, she's like, oh, well, I'm not surprised because I had a lot of trouble with an oversupply of milk. And I was like, didn't it occur to you over the past 40 (laughs) weeks to maybe mention that that, and she's like, oh yeah, all the kids, my grandmother's had four kids. So my dad's one of four. I bottle fed all of them. I was like, what? I was like, 
blowing my mind. So maybe this time if you're choosing to bottle feed again, you'll have to triple drop instead of oh. double drop. You're like, it's trying it's trying to make its way through. It's on my agenda to flag with my obstetrician, like this time do we need to up those meds because like that was just a real inconvenience to go through. And it was just funny. Like I remember after that happened that night, maybe like two days later, I was then lying in the bath and Nick came in and he's like, Oh my god, boobs. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, I'm trying to avoid all of this. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. How did you go about picking a formula? Because that's another thing mm. people seem to have issues with because no formulas can advertise or anything. Yeah, which is it's it's crazy. I just went with what my pediatrician recommended. So I spoke to him before I had Parker and he suggested Aptimil Gold, I think it was. And so I like brought a tin of that to the hospital with me and it actually just so happened that that was the formula that they had at the hospital anyways. So that's what we went on and Parker took to it. So we rolled with that. My mum bottle fed me like straight away when she was in the hospital because she was 18 and still at school and she took the medication as well to dry up the the milk so she could like feed me straight away on a bottle and with the formula. So yeah. And I look at me, I'm fabulous. A hundred percent. Have you had much backlash from people about bottle feeding? How have you felt like, or in public, have you ever felt judged by that? I, I, in public, no, I haven't felt judged by it. And I think actually, again, I was really pleasantly surprised with the reaction to deciding to bottle feed and I guess talk about it openly and publicly with so many women who struggled to breastfeed and felt that they had to keep persevering with that struggle because it just wasn't made clear to them that bottle feeding was a good option. Many women feel like they're failures or bad mums because they can't breastfeed. So I think me talking about bottle feeding and just choosing to do it because that's what suited Nick and I's life that yeah it's it's been really positive that's so good as it should be but that's so good yeah a hundred percent I've actually again even like my obstetrician said to me when I made the decision with her before I had Parker she said like you know I just want to warn you that there could be some of the midwives in hospital after you have her that try to sway your opinion or make you feel bad but you know this is your decision your baby your body you know stand strong type of thing and I was like okay cool so again like I went in feeling like I was on the defense and ready and armed (laughs) but all the midwives were amazing and supportive and just were happy to see that I had a a fed baby so I was really like so many of my friends haven't had that same experience so I'm very aware that that's not always the case but um, yeah, I, I was lucky in that respect. I remember one of my good friends, she had a lot of issues with breastfeeding her first baby and at about six weeks swapped to formula and, you know, it it really changed the game for her because she was really struggling before that. And then so with her second baby made a decision that she didn't want to try breastfeeding. She wanted to go straight to formula. And I remember her saying, she said, I'm too scared to tell people in the hospital that I'm not even going to give breastfeeding a shot. So I'm going to breastfeed in hospital 
and then when I get home I'm going to start formula feeding and like and she in the end had an amazing experience and never started breastfeeding and and I said to her I said that's ridiculous why go through having your milk coming in all of that when it's it's not your intention and you have no interest in giving it a go it's okay to not give it a go your baby's still going to be fed and and more than okay. And I remember in the end, she ended up going in and she said, no, I don't want to breastfeed. And everyone was amazing about it. But I thought how ridiculous in today's day and age that you even need to consider pretending to feed your baby in a way that you're not going to feed them. I know it's, I, I agree with you. It, we should be celebrated for moving through the process of our pregnancy and births and the decisions we make, you know, however we choose to get there. And mm. that another one of those things where it's just like come on like everyone you just feed your baby how you want to feed them and what makes you know you happy and and your baby happy like at the end of the day everyone just hopes that you walk away with a happy and healthy baby from <laughs> from the whole process and, and a happy and healthy mother and a lot of the time pushing an agenda that doesn't sit well with the mother is not going to lead to a happy and healthy mother. Correct. And you you can't expect to have a happy and healthy baby if, if the mother's not happy and not healthy and struggling. Nope. That's ludicrous. So, yeah, I wholeheartedly support breastfeeding or bottle feeding, whatever's going to get you through and make your life easier. Well said. Now, what is the age gap? Or what will it be for these two little bubbies? Parker will be 24 months when this baby girl comes into the world. And is there anything you're planning on doing differently this time or are you happy with how everything went last time? I hope that everything goes exactly the same, which I'm actually like nervous for because I feel like that's such a big expectation I have on myself and on the situation. You know, every as I've mentioned, everything from my birth experience through to I'm very hectic on routine, obviously, control freak, with Parker's sleeping and eating and everything I have been since she was seven weeks old. And I hope to be able to do the same for this baby. But at the same time, last time I didn't have a, a two-year-old. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, I, I do want to be realistic about what I'm going into and that's that it is a different situation to the first time. But I hope that I can stick to as similar situation as I did because Parker has just been such a little dream boat and has thrived off the routine. So, you know, we haven't had to go through many sleepless nights only if she's been unwell or, you know, teething, the regular things. Mm. So, yeah, I hope it's as similar to <laughs> as it was the first time, but, you know, a gal can dream. Do you have any strategies on how you can cope or you might be able to cope if things don't go how you want them to? And I'm only saying this to you because you are a self-confessed control freak. So I can imagine that if it doesn't go a certain way and it is out of your control, that would Even be just incredibly day hard. Day, yeah. like not necessarily something as large as birth, but obviously even if your child's on a routine, Bringing, there's things that are out of your control. Just going from one to two kids even, like the whole thing. In that respect, having Parker has been such a big learning curve for me because I've had to learn to become a lot more flexible I've had to learn to prioritise different things over, you know, what I've had to do in 
or had the luxury of doing in the past. So I just think having PJ has made me a lot more, uh, well, I'd like to think. (laughs) (laughs) It's made me a lot more patient and calm and has given me the coping mechanisms to, you know, if it means that I've got to postpone a meeting or if I've got to cancel something, like it's not the end of the world. I'm really lucky as well. You know, I work in PI. I work mostly with women and mostly with women who have young babies. So I'm so fortunate and thankful that I'm surrounded by people mm. who are so understanding. And I, I'm confident that when I say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, but I can't make that call today you know, Parker's having a bad day, she's woken up sick or whatever it is, it's like not even a a deal. Yeah, absolutely. I'm lucky to have that kind of community around me so that that type of thing doesn't stress me out so much for this time. But, you know, that's not to say I know I'm going to have days where I'm going to be like... (sighs) (laughs) And, you know, working in that PR world, I mean, from the outside, a lot of it looks very glamorous. Like how has that change been for you? I mean, it still seems that you, you know, get to enjoy some glamorous occasions here and there, but has that been a big change going from that world to like eating hash brands on the floor, leaning up against your bed type world. Yes, it was a massive, massive shock to the system when I had Parker. I had really, really unrealistic expectations of like my bounce back. I genuinely thought she would come out and like, I don't know, for like a week or two, I wouldn't feel great. And then like, I'd be fine. And like life would go back to normal and like, yeah, I'd have a baby, but like I'd have help from my husband and my mum and my mother-in-law and like it would be fine. And it was so not like that, obviously. Like that's the most unrealistic expectation to have. So I was a literal walking hot mess after I had PJ because I was just like shook by what was going on. And as I said, like a control freak to just learning to let go and just roll with the punches and go with the flow was a lot for me. So yeah, it it really came as a shock to the system the first time. So this time I have very different expectations. In fact, I'm really trying to lean into it this time and I'm going to allow myself, you know, a few months to take a step back a bit from work so that I can focus on having a newborn and experiencing that time because I now realise how quickly that goes. I feel like with Parker, I was like, oh, when is this going to end? Like when am I going to get to the point where, you know, she's eating solid so that she can sleep through the night and I can drop the dream feed, like everything. I was just like, like I need to get through. Waiting for the next step. Yes, where and, you know, like in hindsight, I'm like, that was the best time, like, why did I, I was wishing that away. And so this time I really will make an effort to enjoy it while it lasts, because I know how quickly you blink and all of a sudden, and everyone says it to you. Like I'll roll my eyes when people would say that to me before I'd park. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Time flies like whatevs, but it (laughs) truly does. And I will definitely be far more appreciative of that especially that newborn time because it just goes so quickly. I know. Doesn't it? That Oh, they're just the cutest little devils ever. <laughs> Finally, before we leave you, you are a hardworking woman. How do you juggle both of those things and do you have any tips for any other women out there that are working or planning on returning to work, you know, following having a baby? 
Um, I think, I mean, we've just, you know, spoken about expectations. I think firstly to know and have the expectation that it's going to be hard and Mm. the juggle and the struggle of the juggle is real. Um, Struggle of the juggle. I love that. (laughs) The struggle of the juggle. I mean, it's like, it's such a shift. Like, you know, prior to having Parker, I would get up in the morning, have the morning to myself, go and do my Pilates, make breakfast, get dressed, do my hair and makeup, go to work. Like what I would give to have that now, like just even once a week, that would be amazing. So I think just being realistic about that there's going to be a big life change. And for me, the way I get through it is via my village and help and support. I'm really lucky that my mum and my mother-in-law literally live around the corner from us so they can like come and help hallelujah (laughs) they come and help at the drop of a hat which is amazing my younger sister also lives super close so again she's really flexible and so helpful I also got a nanny when Parker was about nine months um I wish I'd done that sooner I don't know why I was trying to be a hero and do everything myself I almost drove myself into the ground and when I finally took the what seemed like a big step and it wasn't (laughs) the step to getting a nanny it was like the biggest game changer for me and then again like next step sending Parker to daycare you know, I made it out to be this huge, big deal. And like, she went and she loves it. Like that kid, when I drop her off, blows me a kiss and says, bye. And walks away. I'm like, oh, okay. Bye. Killed it. I'm Killed it. You. And she's just like, get away from me, mom. <laughs> I know. I feel like we have to almost like, you know, fully get to the edge of things before we accept the next level of help. And then once we do that, it's like, oh, Why did I let myself get to that state before making this decision? Yeah, 100%. And, like, for me, I really didn't think I'd be that person because, as I said, I'm not, like, I have never been maternal and, I, you know, like, I'm not, I don't know, mushy or, I don't know, I just really didn't think I'd be so funny about getting help. I kind of always thought, yeah, obviously I would get help so that I can continue working and doing life, but I got really funny about it. I also think maybe it was because when I had Parker, so I had her in September and I think it was in that November we had all of the bushfires. Mm. So you're advised if you had a newborn to stay inside. So it kind of like went from bushfires, then COVID straight into like lockdown. Mm. First like six months of her life, I didn't really go anywhere or take her anywhere. And so I think that obviously like I just had such a close relationship with her that it freaked me out to bring someone else into the mix that wasn't my mum or my mother-in-law or my sister. So once I find over that, it was fine. Like so this time I'm like no holding back. Like as soon as I feel like I need help so that I can survive, bring it on. And I really love your story because there are a lot of women out there who don't feel maternal and because they don't feel maternal, they feel like they shouldn't or couldn't have children. And just listening to you and making these choices because you don't feel maternal but you chose to have a C-section because that's your decision, you chose to bottle feed, you still have a beautiful family, you're about to have another one and, yeah, it's it's a different. But I think it's because like maternal doesn't equal not a good mother and I think that's what it's almost like oh if you're not maternal then you're not going to make a good mother and like I don't really feel like I'm an overly maternal gushy person but 
I'm a great mum. You're a great mum and they are all great mothers and you're a great mother as well, I'm sure. But my girlfriend is, she says she's not maternal and for her, she's freaking fabulous with kids but there's something with her of having her own she mm. feels like she's just not maternal I'm mm. not, and I, it's, I, I don't know what it is about that word but I guess she doesn't have you tell me is that like this a connection I, I I'm trying to understand what it it really is as you're talking about it and like thinking about unpacking the concept of what it actually yeah I, I feel like I probably just said that as like with not giving it enough thought and it was quite a loaded thing to say. But I feel like to me saying I'm not maternal is that I guess growing up I haven't always dreamed of having kids or, you know, that hasn't been my be all and end all. And, like, to be honest, if you said to me, like, you've got to stay at home with Parker all day, every day, like seven days a week, I'd die. Like I love her more than anything in this world, but that is like I couldn't do that. Women who can do that are freaking amazing. Like, thank mm. God there are people in the world that have that. And maybe that's to me being maternal, just like loving kids and being able to spend all your time with like, I love Parker, but I am definitely my best self and a better mum when I've been able to go to work, do a bit of me time, whatever, have a bit of time away. When I step back into my mum role, I'm a better mum for it. Yeah, completely. So I think it's clear that you can still be an incredible mother without feeling maternal. Yes. We got there in the end, didn't we, ladies? I think maybe I've probably become a lot more maternal since having Parker. Yeah. I mean, I've made the decision to have another baby and, you know, you've got to have a maternal bone in your body to go for a second round. But, (laughs) yeah, it's definitely shifted a bit, but I still don't see myself as this super maternal woman, maybe in comparison to some of my girlfriends who are just like these amazing mums and I'm just like I just look at them in awe and I'm just like, how do you do it? Like, oh, it's just phenomenal. And to me maybe that's what being maternal is. Yeah. And it takes all types and I agree. I can't mum seven days a week and it makes me a better mum when I am home with them if I can have time away and it's the same with my husband. I, Mm. you know, when I can miss him, I then enjoy spending time with him so much more because I know that it's an active choice to be with him and it's an active choice to be with my kids because when I've been away from them, I've really missed them. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on and being so open and honest. Good luck with the rest of this pregnancy and it sounds like it's been a whirlwind already, so hopefully only up from here. Or out. (laughs) Get it? Both. Thank you so much, ladies. It was so nice to talk. I feel like I could keep going all day, but we'll we'll, we'll cut it here. <laughs> Absolutely, Thank you. we agree. Thank See you. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.